Well, welcome to the Hunt Backcountry podcast. This is episode number 345, and our guest comes from across the Atlantic, and his name is Marcel. As you'll hear in his introduction, he has a long background in the clothing and apparel industry, and really a lot of experience with very technical fabrics. And the reason that we reached out to Marcel was to take a deep dive on the specific technical peril that is rain gear. To understand how certain types of rain gear is meant to work, the limitations that are inherent within rain gear, and much more. We're not talking so much about a specific piece of apparel or even a specific type of technology or waterproof membrane, but more about the high-level approach and the detailed intricacies of how rain gear is meant to work and why sometimes rain gear doesn't work. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. It is certainly one that will be most enjoyed by guys like Steve and myself who really want to nerd out a little bit on understanding gear and technology and kind of take a deep dive behind the marketing. We'll put it that way. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, you will love this episode. As always, guys, we do appreciate you tuning in. It would help us tremendously if you could leave a rating or review in whatever podcast app you use, or even better, just share the show directly with a friend. If you benefit from this episode in particular or others, pass that along. Share it with somebody who could also benefit from us, and thank you so much for doing that. Finally, before we dive into the interview, wanted to remind you guys that you can visit the link in the show description to leave us a message with a question that you have for us, or you can always contact us by email as well, which is just podcast at xomountaingear.com. Right now, though, let's dive into this conversation with Marcel. Marcel, welcome to the Hunts Back Country podcast. Excited to chat with you today. Hey, thank you very much for having me. Yeah. Steve, I'll, uh, at least from your perspective, give a little bit of an introduction uh, to meeting Marcel and then kind of how this podcast came about. Um, yeah. So we met Marcel at the Hunt Expo this year. Um, he, uh, Marcel, you are co-owner of Canis? Yes, that's correct. Okay. Um, and then, and yeah, so met Marcel and Ryan at the show and got to chat a little bit and checked out some of their clothing and got to under, uh, understand Marcel's background of, um, clothing design and working in the outdoor gear space. And, um, Mark, you and I had previously talked about getting an expert on here, uh, to, to better understand basically rain jackets and, um, the ins and outs of comparing, uh, breathability versus waterproofness, um, so yeah, Marcel, once, once I, I was like, man, that guy would be a perfect fit for this conversation. So that's where we're at right now. Marcel, I'd love to hear more of your background. Um, one thing that I find uh, interesting about you as it relates to this podcast, or even really honestly with Canis is uh, you're a bit of an outsider from the hunting world. So you're um, from Europe, you're your background isn't necessarily particularly in hunting, but you have a wide, vast experience of combining um, textiles and apparel with all types of outdoor pursuits, not just hunting in particular. Um, so I find that really interested and I'm personally eager to learn more about that. But if you can share some of that background on what your expertise has looked like, how it's developed over the years and some of the projects um, that you've worked on. Yeah, and that's actually correct what you say. I'm a, I don't have myself a, a hunting background, but um, I have a very strong textile background. I'm uh, coming from tailoring side. Uh, I, I uh, was a trained tailor um, and I've been working in the outdoor industry for the past um, uh, well over 20 years. Um, I've been mostly in, uh, in ski bear, then um, mountaineering. Um, we moved a little bit into, into other sports where um, but also in medical um, textiles and uh, finally also in, in uh, military uh, and special forces. So um, I have learned to, um, I've run a, a, let's put it that way, I have 
um, run my own development studio, development and prototype studio in Switzerland for more than 10 years uh, with a, you know, quite a large team. Um, and we were, you know, really prototyping from, from a, you know, a very brief idea to, um, you know, ready, um, market ready garments in our own studio. Uh, we had all machinery in-house. We had, um, we had up to 18 people operating machinery, um, uh, latest technology such as um, ultrasonic uh, seam sealing, uh, laser cutting bonding. So we had everything under one roof and we were not um, um, dependent on um, you know, other people to, to do any development in, in, in technical uh, sportswear and um, or let's say functional wear. Um, so we have collected a lot of um, knowledge on our end in, in um, garment construction, um, in a fit in in fit engineering, and we have worked with um, a lot of um, athletes, um, with a lot of um, users from the military field. So I think what we can do <coughs> is really from feedback that we get from from a user. Uh, we can really, um, you know, collect that and and um, and make without together with our knowledge combined, we can make uh, you know really sophisticated and well-working um, product. And I think this is this is also how I feel that this um, this combination between uh, Ryan, my partner, and myself um, has has really um, a lot of benefits. You know, he's a he's been a a hunter for for his whole life and you know it's a family tradition on their side and um he has he has owned probably um every piece of um, gear that is in the market before and and has very specific ideas and feedback um that he can bring to the table and um i have worked with you know many different users in different fields and and uh, i know and i have the experience how, how to translate that into into products and um I think this is our, um, yeah, this is our uh, unique selling point, and this is our probably um, um, advantage uh, to the market. You know, not having uh, hunters only in the company, but also having a, you know, this is a um, very uh, in-depth uh, background in textiles and engineering. I don't think most people realize how unique it is um, on the prototyping and development process that the. Correct me if I'm wrong, but definitely on the hunting side, uh, a lot of companies, they have a designer that sketches something on a piece of paper and then they send that off to the factory that's going to make it. And they just kind of put out a prototype and then ship it back. And it's not, um, you know, having your own in-house design, be able to manufacture everything right there is actually pretty unique. That's not, that's not a normal case. Yeah, this is correct. Um, what do you say? And I mean, you know, you're building backpack on your side as well, and and um, so you know how complex uh, it can be to know to make a, you know a sophisticated product. Um, and I think um, you know, looking at your product, I can see this is really um, you know gone a lot of thoughts into the engineering and the construction. And you know, it's the same as um, what we do in in, um, in garments. Like you know, we we you know, it's a trial and error, and it's a lot a lot of um, experience. And um, you know, we know every single stitch on a garment, every single uh, square, you know, centimeter of a garment. Um, um, and, you know, we, before, we, before we actually um, approach a factory for repli uh, or for duplication, so we have already done it. We have uh, verified the fit, we have verified the function. Ryan has tested it on, on several trips. Uh, we have found the weak spots, um, you know, we have uh, refined uh, the fit and everything. So. Once we approach um, a factory and start working with them, we already have, you know, you know, pattern fit prototypes. Um, we go to the factory, we, we will discuss um, like everything with them. And then it will go through a like regular process of two to three um, counter samples together with them to make sure we have, you know, we get the, the last 10%, um, you know, perfect. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, so we kind of, you know, reverse the process a little bit. And, and this gives us more time for understanding, for testing, for uh, validation. Um, yeah, in in our team, we yeah. I feel like so many questions, but <laughs> I want to like stick to the topic of what we want to cover today because we want to do go pretty in depth on uh, rain gear in particular and understanding really many of 
the things that go into that. And then I think also kind of explaining uh, some of the frustrations that end users have, including what Steve and I have experienced and, oh, getting to some of the truth behind the, the marketing that's out there. So it's really easy to look at rain gear. And even if you stay within hunting brands, much less the broader outdoor space, and you see all kinds of talk about waterproofness, uh, breathability, et cetera. And I want to understand what that truly means, how those uh, attributes function, where they can fail, uh, and much more. But just start at the very base. Is waterproof actually waterproof? Or what distinctions can we begin to understand about a textile or a particular fabric being labeled as waterproof. Yeah, and I think there there it starts already. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there is obviously there is waterproof garments like that is a hundred percent waterproof, and you know we know these uh, these yellow uh, tarp type of fabrics that are you know hundred percent waterproof, but they're non breathable. Um, so, and this is, this is often for, for some, for some days may, this may also for some activities, this may be the best choice. Um, but, but often it's not, um, because the breathability is, is like zero in this kind of, of fabric. So, and once you kind of leave that space of hundred percent waterproof, um, you always kind of look for, for the best compromise in waterproofness and in, in breathability and, um, uh, generally, obviously, the a good quality fabric somehow incorporates both of these worlds and and finds a sweet spot in in a in a in a very good waterproofness and in a, in a quite reasonable um, breathability. Um, but yeah, you know, it's it's like really you have to choose um, uh, what's important for your activity to um, you know and, and and serves the purpose that that you need. I think for. Like uh, our frustrations have been one, we have Mark and I have this very specific instance. We were deer hunting on Kodiak and we, it was raining that morning, foggy. You're coming right off the ocean. And we hiked a couple miles and it was pretty physical, but by that, we, we had rain jackets on because it was, it was raining. But by the time we got to where we were going to stop in glass, you, we took our rain jackets off and it, it was as if we had dunked our entire bodies into the ocean prior to climbing. Um, there was, it was just 100% wet on the inside. Um, and that was just shot. It was like, I know I didn't sweat that much. Like the sweat would have just been at the shoulder harnesses in the back. It wouldn't have been all down the sleeves, inside the sleeves on my sides. Um, and so the, the rain jacket clearly failed in that situation. Um, and so that was one instance. And then the other times it's, uh, like I'll, I'll see companies offer a light rain jacket and then like, Oh, but if it's really going to rain hard, you need this rain jacket. Uh, and it's, it's very confusing. Like, well, if waterproof is waterproof, why, why not just pack the lightest one, you know, setting durability aside. Uh, I want, you know, for specifically like a lot of the hunting we do here in the Western United States, rain isn't necessarily, you know, you're going to backpack in for six days and it might call for rain one or two of those days. So you pack a rain jacket, but you want it to be as light and packable as possible. Um, but yeah, so that's those are the kind of the two scenarios that we've ran into, and that's why I wanted to set up this conversation is to understand how you know why waterproof isn't necessarily completely waterproof, and then how breathability plays into that, and then more related to activity level. Yeah, and I think tied into that too is our expectations, but I think our expectations are then fed by uh, exaggerated marketing, right? <laughs> so it's like all the marketing's out there, like it's waterproof and it's breathable. And then, you know, if people take that as absolutes, and as you said earlier, Marcel, it's, it's not an absolute, it's a balance. Um, mm. there is 100% waterproof and that essentially comes at the expense of breathability. And so you do begin to make some decisions that, uh, balance out waterproofness and breathability. Um, so yeah, I, let's talk a bit about that. Let's start with, um, for both of those for waterproofness and breathability, there are ratings. So can you kind of explain the ratings or the standardization that exists to, um, put some numbers out there 
to quantify uh, waterproofness and breathability? Yeah, I mean, um, there is different standards uh, for the waterproofness. Um, it's all called, um, like we, we normally speak of a water column. Um, and this is normally measured, like this is measured in a, um, in a Japanese norm, which is, uh, you know, many of the Asian fabrics use this Japanese norm for the waterproofness, water column. And then there is a ISO norm, which is uh, often used for um, European uh, and probably some of the US, um, or there's, there's actually an ASTM norm that is connected to the ISO norm or, or equal to the um, ISO norm, uh, which is also measuring the water column. The um, difference in between the two of those is that the pressure is built up at the separate speed which um, the, the ISO norm uh, is uh, building up um, pressure quicker, which gives more stress to the membrane. So the water col column will be a little bit lower on this standard than on the Japanese norm. However, the Japanese norm is, um, is uh, probably for the outdoor industry, the more common version of water column. So um, we are normally speaking um, for a Japanese norm, um, 20,000 and above millimeters. And this could mean uh, for the ISO norm that we start to, at about 12 to 15,000 with, you know, with a similar fabric. Interesting. So when you see ratings on a company's website, it could be one or the other. Yeah. And this is where it really gets confusing, I guess, for the, for the end consumer, because uh, there is often a number uh, stated, but there is uh, no, no testing norm stated. Right. So you don't right. know what it is. And even if it's stated, I mean, you need really to dig out this information and, and, and understand, um, you know, you need this background information and knowledge to really understand what it means. So yeah. I guess this is, um, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate, but this is what we've been doing in yeah. the for a while now. <laughs> this is yeah. This is just a jump off topic. Like this is perfect. What I like, I just want to better inform consumers when they're going to buy their next set of rain gear on what to look for in the decisions to make uh, mm. to get the, the best thing suited for them. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. And then for the, I think for the um, breathability or a, a, a moisture vapor transmission, um, it's, I think it's even more confusing because there is um, two different Japanese standards. We speak about them, an inverted cup method and the upright cup method. And this is um, used for different types of membranes. And then um, there is a, um, a ISO norm, a AST norm, like an American norm. And um, then there is a norm that is called the RET. This is the skin model. And this is uh, the skin model is used for PTFE membranes, uh, predominantly for Gore-Tex garments. So. Um, these are all different standards that are being used for different membranes. And obviously different membranes have uh, different, different ways of, um, of, of how, they, how they work or how they perform. And so they, you know, you normally find the best standard suitable for, the, for this membrane type, uh, type you want to test. And I think this is really getting uh, super confusing because the... Um, many of the values, you know, except of the RET. RET really gives you a completely different number, but the other values, they are, you know, somehow comparable, but then they're still quite, you know, set apart. And um, so you can't really connect, um, on, you know, unless you know exactly what membrane type that is used. One thing I read, I think I was just doing some online research on this as well. And uh, an article had mentioned that some companies will just test the breathability of the membrane on its own, right? Like not laminated to the other, the waterproof breathability portion of the membrane. I'm not, not exactly how sure that works, but uh, test it without, like, not in the completed garment, right? Um, so once they, it's breathable, but then once they laminate it to two or three other layers of fabric, then that gets cut down significantly. Yeah, I mean, obviously you never test, test on, a, on a finished garment, but obviously you need to test it on a finished fabric because you know, you can obviously test the membrane, which is basically a, a film that is um, either hydrophilic um, or microporous. Um, 
So you can test the membrane on its own and uh, a, a membrane manufacturer will obviously do that, um, but it doesn't mean anything before it's laminated to a face fabric and uh, potentially to a becker as well, if we speak about three layer garments. And um, all of a sudden uh, you, have, um, you have three uh, different materials that, um, that come into play. You have a face fabric, you have a membrane and you have a becker. And obviously the density and uh, the thickness of the, you know, of the face fabric, respectively Becker, um, will have a big um, impact on the, on the breathability, but also sometimes on the, on the waterproofness. And then um, obviously you use um, some type of a glue um, to bring this all together. And then you have, a, you know, you have different glue coverage from, from full glue, which you obviously try to avoid to you know to less like a dot type uh, uh, with a with a fewer distribution and less coverage so but you will you will end up always um sometime like somewhere between 25 and and 40% glue coverage um on the membrane um so obviously the the breathability will be um compromised a lot um once it's laminated I wish I wish companies' marketing teams would do a better job explaining all this stuff, or the, at least the companies that do it well, right? Because um, I think there's a. Uh, I remember I think it was uh, just in some boots I was looking at. There, there was a talking about they specifically talked about how they use like dots of glue in the Gore-Tex uh, to increase the breathability, right? Versus just like lathering the glue on on the inside of the Gore-Tex to the boot. Um, and same, obviously, same concept here. Yeah, exactly. But also, you know, in between a little, a little bit of glue and a lot of glue or full glue, um, you always have to find the right, um, you know, the right amount and the right um, components to, you know, to make it also durable. Because if you put too little, um, maybe you have a very good breathability, but it will somehow uh, start to disintegrate, um, you know, after, after some time of use. And obviously you want to avoid that as well. Yeah. We touched on it there um, in that discussion. I just want to make sure we like lay a good framework or base understanding of it for folks listening is you know, your average consumer looking at rain gear at some point is going to run into this idea of, of layers in the system, right? So they're going to see it's a, a two layer, a three layer, maybe three and a half layer. And part of me even has always been like, how do you have half of a layer? But <laughs> maybe you can explain that. Um, but can we talk about it there? Again, I know you mentioned this, but I just want to like come back to it and call it out specifically. And uh, Marcel, feel free to give us like that base understanding of what layers comprise or can comprise a system like this. And then maybe what are some of the the reasons for that, you know, pros and cons, benefits, drawbacks of, you know, increasing layers, decreasing layers in the system. Yeah. Um, I think in, um, uh, we start with two layers. Um, two layer is a face fabric laminated with a membrane, which is um, typically more breathable um, as there is no, you know, no backing glue to it. But what you will need when you uh, construct a garment, you will need a lining that protects the membrane. Um, from you know from there from abrasion but also from uh, from body fat or from you know from uh, um, dust and and, and and dirt and stuff so um, this is how you know typically let's say typically a ski jacket is made with a two-layer fabric because also it uh, it, in, um, it integrates an insulation like a, um, some kind of a, um, synthetic insulation so then you use a two-layer fabric outside, then an insulation comes, and then you have a, um, a lining uh, to it. But for, um, let's say, for layering systems, which we typically use in, in the outdoor market, um, but also in obviously um, seen a lot in the hunting industry, um, we use often three-layer fabrics, which means that instead of a loose liner, um, you will put a, a backer on, a backer that protects the membrane um, from uh, uh, mostly from abrasion and, and um, but also from from uh, dirt and, and grease. Um, this makes the fabric a bit more crisp and stiffer. Um, obviously, also a bit heavier, but you don't need to um, put an extra layer. Um, and then there is something in between. Then we speak about the two and a half layer, which is um, basically a 
a face fabric, a membrane, and then there is a protective coating on the membrane or a protective print on the membrane that um, protects the, the membrane from, uh, from there. And, um, and, and uh, um, uh, dust and dirt and stuff. So um, that's when we talk about two and a half layers. So, so the half, half layer, layer is a coating? It's a coating or protective um, protective print, something like this. Yeah. Got it. Um, and these are usually a bit lighter and, um, and a bit uh, softer as a fabric type, but also it's a little bit more, um, um, it's a, a bit weaker um, towards abrasion or, you know, if you wear um, something that is uh, like some equipment underneath, um, then it can, um, you know, can compromise the, the membrane when it gets scratched or, or, or punctured or something like this. So the, the layers are specifically the interior ones are more, more from a long-term durability, keeping dirt out, keeping the jacket waterproof over a longer duration. If it's brand new, it should be as waterproof as a three, three and a half layer jacket. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, the, the membrane is, is, is usually of the same type. Um, certainly, what we, what we often do, then we use a little bit of thicker membrane because the thickness of the membrane can also ver uh, vary a little bit. So you would probably use a little bit of thicker membrane uh, and then um, have this kind of coated layer on, on top of it to, to give extra protection. Um, but once the fabric is new, obviously, um, it's waterproof, it's, um, it's breathable and yeah, it's even sometimes more breathable than a three layer, but this is not, it's not always the case. But. Okay. And just to clarify, the membrane is the waterproof portion of this whole system. Exactly. This is yeah. kind of a film, um, film type of layer. Yeah. Okay. So it's the Gore-Tex or the, whatever the heck it is. Yeah. Well, we're thinking of that. So the, the waterproof layer is, uh, say in a three and a half, three layer system, it's kind of sandwiched, right? It's kind of in the middle. The, can you talk about the importance of that outer face layer? Um, what's truly exposed to the elements and a lot of times DWR is going to come into play here and how, even though that the waterproof layer is the membrane, the, basically the role of the exterior face and DWR and how that plays into the whole system, uh, potentially for good or for bad. Mm. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the the outer fabric is um, um, is relevant when it comes to protecting uh, the membrane from uh, from damage and from wear. So, obviously, if you have a super light fabric with a very thin layer of um, of fabric at the outer, um, this can potentially be um, you know compromised uh, from you know from from physical um, um, abrasion or puncture or something that you would probably face in the you know during hunting thorns. Uh, it just goes easily through the you know the the face fabric layer, and then once it reaches the membrane, uh, it's very easy to to damage the uh, the membrane. Um, so obviously, in between light um, light and um, and and heavy, um, there is also a sweet spot um, which you have to choose uh, carefully um, because many of the very light um, uh, rainwear is is made with a very light face fabric. Um, and that is that is just less protecting than than if you go for something that is a bit more sturdy. So obviously, then this comes with a um, with a thicker, with a heavier and more um, resistant um, face fabric that makes it um, you know harder to to get penetrated um, and and to get um, the membrane compromised. Um, but also. Um, potentially lighter face fabrics, and um, then this has, a, has to do something with um, how dense the face fabric is woven. Um, so the breathability can be um, much higher with a light face fabric that is woven um, with less density, because just a, you know it's it's less resistance to for the for the vapor to um, to transfer. Um, yeah, but but here again, it's. Um, um, that's why that's why you probably um, say okay you, you better go for a for a very good um, shell jacket um, if you really want to have it waterproof it's not that the membrane wouldn't be waterproof but it's just like a light fabric is easier to be compromised um, than a heavy fabric and this is very general because then it comes um, it's it's also 
it's also a matter of what material is used. So is it polyester? I mean, uh, many hunting brands use uh, use polyester um, because it's easy to print camo on. Um, but then it's also what type of, of yarn is it? Is it is it bright? Is it dull? Is it semi-dull? Um, this has all to do with the strength of the individual yarn. And then um, uh, same in, in uh, nylon, or is it um, high tenacity nylon, nylon double six? Like, um, you know, this all has a matter um, on, on how strong the face fabric will be. And this uh, needs to be considered as well. That role specifically of DWR, and maybe I'm inaccurate here, Marcel, so feel free to correct me, but that face fabric uh, basically creating some resistance to the moisture. So essentially the role of an exterior or on the face fabric DWR is helping to keep that membrane, um, I don't want to say from being penetrated, but it's basically playing kind of a secondary role that DWR in addition to the membrane in terms of the water resistance, because I guess what I'm getting at is I see talk online. I've somewhat experienced this myself of guys talking about, you know, they basically their rain gear failed. Right. And it's like, Oh, everything was saturated. What have you, I need to reactivate my DWR. That's not changing anything about the membrane. It's essentially helping the face fabric assist the membrane. Is that a like a fair way to put it? Yeah, you're hundred percent correct, and um, I'm glad you're bringing up this point. Um, the face fabric will always be treated with the with the DWR, and um, obviously there is also a lot of different um, um, qualities and chemicals and uh, and um, you know application routines used. Um, but usually, for you know, for a good quality membrane, uh, we really speak about the, the durable, water resistant. Um, you know, treatment. Um, this is DWR, durable water resistant. Um, but then there is also a WR, which is just water repellent. This is just like a different standard. But usually on a rain gear, we have a very high standard um, um, water repellent treatment. And, you know, then depending on the membrane um, that you use, it's, uh, it's more or less important that this works really well. If you use a... Um, a hydrophilic membrane, um, which is kind of a, a water um, attracting membrane, um, then you want to keep uh, moisture away from the membrane, also moisture, like especially from the outside, from inside uh, with the differential pressure, you kind of use this system, you know, that the, you know, the water um, vapor uh, will kind of um, go into the membrane and be uh, pushed towards the outside. But what you obviously want to um, avoid is that the membrane gets, um, you know, vetted from the from the outside. And in this case, uh, DWR treatment will help us um, to um, keep water away from the membrane. Um, and this is more important for from you know for the uh, hydrophilic, uh, mostly PU membranes. Um, but then. Uh, um, for the for you know PTFE membranes or, or um, microporous uh, hydrophobic um, um, membranes, it's it's not as relevant because um, as, as the function functional uh, print, uh, function principle is different in these membranes. But yes, you try to basically keep water away from the membrane, and for this the DWR treatment is important, and also it's important that this gets. Um, frequently re restored from the user so i think somewhere in there uh is is what happened to us on kodiak like the the D the face fabric saturated to a point where then the membrane was then pulling moisture back into the jacket and i believe that like if you said differential pressure um so that's like the humidity levels right was it was higher outside the jacket than it was inside the jacket so that the, the moisture was actually being pulled back through. Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's, uh, you know, especially in, um, um, if you're in backcountry hunting, you're, uh, you're often using a, a backpack and, um, you know, then you have a lot of pressure uh, on certain areas uh, and, you know, where also the DWR treatment um, gets uh, mechanically uh, compromised and and dropped off um, the face. So um, of course, if you then um, if you then have uh, rain and you have this you know this high pressure from from load that you're carrying, 
um, at some point, this this uh, this fabric that it's still very thin uh, starts to to collapse. Yeah, this can happen. You touched on in there hydrophilic versus hydrophobic. Uh, hydrophilic meaning essentially it attracts water. Hydrophobic resists water. Mm-hmm. Help me connect in my brain, and I'm sure for some listeners too. Obviously, we're talking about rain gear, like at a basic, I'm very ignorant. Here's my understanding. I want to resist water. So hydrophobic makes sense. But can you talk about how a membrane can be hydrophilic in rain gear and still function, meaning it's attracting water, but what is it then doing with that moisture in a system? Yeah, in, um, in our climate zones means that um, it's more um dry it's it's a more dry climate you know let's say compared with asia where it's uh, often very humid and uh, maybe even very warm and humid but still rainy so for these conditions a hydrophilic membrane would wouldn't work so well uh, in dry um in dry um and cold conditions um a hydrophilic membrane works really well because we will create a lot of differential pressure in between the, um, you know, our microsystem around or microclimate around our body inside the jacket and, you know, the outside world um, and outside climate. Um, Then, you know, the membrane can kind of absorb moisture and is pushed towards the outside. So this works then in this case really well. Um, So sweat and perspiration are being absorbed and pushed out. Yeah, exactly. So it kind of migrates through this, layer or like film layer so you have to imagine like this it's kind of a it's kind of a mm, let's see yeah it's it's a, just absorbing and then kind of uh, with the differential pressure it starts to migrate through this layer towards the outside and um, this works as long as you have a differential pressure uh, which means if you have a very hot and humid climate um, so it probably is very similar outside your garment and inside your garment and then it doesn't work really well so that's why for um in in our in our climate zones um hydrophilic works well um and also gives you a good um a good water protection or a good water column whereas uh, usually a micro like a hydrophobic uh, would would then be a microporous membrane means that this film does have holes in it um so usually it's a bit harder to um, to get a really high um, water column, but it's kind of a direct venting system then because you know you have holes in the membrane and that um, you know naturally the moisture can escape through these ho- holes in the membrane. But if you have a lot of pressure from outside, then again, um, let's say beyond the uh, backpack straps, this can also then create. Um, a weak spot and then there is kind of um big component membranes um from one of the very big players in the market so they use kind of a um hydro uh, like a um a microporous type that has a um uh, hydrophilic component to it so kind of combining the two worlds together hmm. you know i was going to ask like how do we how can consumers understand even what they're looking at? So again, I just feel like there's, so you go look at anybody, they're going to talk about waterproof and breathable, but sometimes those like, there's so many details left out. Like it's not saying whether, you know, um, it is hydrophobic, whether it's hydrophilic, it's in some instances, not talking about, um, those ratings that we talked about prior with water column or MVTR, moisture permeability, whatever you want to call it. So is it, is it just hard to know as a consumer, like looking at some products or some brands, is it just hard to really know what you're looking at and get to the details beyond everything being quote unquote waterproof and breathable? Yeah. I mean, it's really it's really hard to first of all it's hard to exactly understand you know all these different types and then it's it's harder even to you know even us you know having quite some knowledge about um fabrics and materials once a garment is made it's also hard for us to really you know see what it is um 
I mean, you you always can guess, and you have some indications where you can how you can figure it out. Um, but also, also us, we can't tell a hundred percent what it's what it's in. So, <laughs> so yeah, I think this is really difficult for a for a consumer. And at some point, um, I think you just need to trust um, um, trust the communication and um, and that the company that um, that made the garment. Um, has has found uh, the best fit um, of material or technology for the garment that they offer to you. If like if nothing else, Steve, or at least given some guys some good questions to ask if they're not seeing the information they want when they look at somebody's website. I, yeah, I agree. Like I said, it, they, it also it reminds me of um, Marcel, the, one of the sleeping pads. Um, f- a few years ago, they developed a standard for how to measure the R value. And it was like, Finally, I was like, thank you. Cause it was, I'd buy a sleeping pad from uh, like big Agnes is a company that, and they would be very cold pads. They'd say, oh, this is rated to 15 to 20 degrees. And I'd sleep on it. Like this is way colder than the thermo rest I was running prior, you know, different pads I'd try. And they finally came out with a standard that, um, that for the most part, everyone's adopting now. And you saw a lot of companies immediately after that change their R values, you know, up and down, um, depending on the pad. It sounds like rain jackets need something similar, like a official standard that everything's measured by. So it's all on equal playing ground and then the consumers can make better educated decisions. Yeah. Um, I would, I would support that idea. And um, <laughs> I mean, basically um, the problem is, I guess the problem, or I think there is, okay, let's put it that way. Um, there is some standards that would be quite helpful for the consumer to, if, if everybody, everybody would kind of using these same standards. Um, and there is standards around that could be helpful in the, you know, in understanding um, to the consumer what, what he's looking at. But on the other hand, then it's, um, you know, activity level um, and climate zones you are in and, and so on. It's like, these also play, um, you know, any significant role in if you feel comfortable in a garment or not. And if it's the right garment for you or not. So, um, which I believe, um, and we just had the internal discussion uh, recently for a sleeping bag, it's, um, you know, they have also a standardized um, rating that you, you know, you sent the, you sent the, the sleeping bag for testing for a lab test. And then you kind of have a rating that is, is fairly accurate. Um, but also the, you know, the um, activity level of every person um, during um, sleep is quite similar, you know, it's just very low. And of course the reception of cold is, is then more, you know, a type specific thing or also in between men and women, there is differences, but um, generally the activity level is low. And for an outdoor um, application, I mean, the activity level can be from low, moderate low too very high when we speak about, um, you know, backcountry or, or mountain hunting. Um, obviously, you're carrying a lot of weight. You're um, uh, you're going steep. Um, you're very active. So obviously, your activity level is is extremely high, and probably none of the membrane will um, really deal with that um, energy that you set free. And in this case, um, obviously, you need uh, ventilation, and 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 this is probably one of the reasons why why people would say, hey. If you like really go for backcountry hunting or for mountain hunting, um, it's good to have a very light one. But you know, if you're out there and depending on on um, on your gear, you probably not want to go for the lightest one, but you want to go for the one that has you know a good ventilation um, possibilities and uh, kind of um, also a certain durability, um, not to compromise membrane and so on. So I think this makes it a little bit more complex. But I think for sure the industry can do a bit better than what we are doing now, to be honest. Yeah, I'm sure another aspect from probably from you guys' perspective is uh, it's got to be frustrating when you see other companies that you know are publishing ratings that are probably not very true, right? Because it's so easy to maybe fudge these numbers. Yeah, you just choose a different st- uh, testing standard. Yeah, and- <laughs> yeah. all of a sudden you can, oh, we've got x and x breathability and x and x waterproofness and yeah it's got to yeah, be frustrating you know what and, and this is i think it's important to say as well um 
fabric it's it's pretty easy to make a fabric waterproof nowadays so there is you know there's millions of fabrics that are are good enough to make a waterproof garment it's like uh, of course it's like you're trying to find to find the best or the best kind of compromise in between breathability and waterproofness and then there is there's maybe not so so many but there's still plenty nowadays you know we have we have good technology we have you know good membranes we have um, um you know making a fabric waterproof is is really not a not so difficult um but then you know you you kind of cut and sew and then you have to apply a seam sealing tape and there is already um you know this can be already um the first hurdle you have to to take and um sometimes you know if you have um you know inappropriate machine settings you can already fail on the seam sealing and this is something you can't see when a garment is manufactured, you only can see, you know, after it's been washed 10 times or 20 times, or if water penetrates uh, through, um, or if you test it, but you can't see it from, you know, from your bare eye, if the taping on the seam is properly applied or not. You know, it, look, it will look good and it will resist washing, but it doesn't mean that it's applied in a way with the correct um, machine settings that it's also waterproof. So this is one thing that needs to be considered. And the other thing is that there is no rules um, on how you have to construct a garment that it's um, being waterproof in rain conditions. Means that if you do construction mistakes, um, the water will go in, um, you know, through, um, you know, construction errors in pockets or in, uh, in, in, in seams that, uh, that run into into zipper areas or ventilations and so on. So it's like, um, I think this is also the um, probably this is one of the big things that that you know gets gets get mistaken. You know, that's and that's something. Uh, yeah, nobody will uh, kind of or there is obviously also here there is testing methods to to avoid uh, such construction mistakes. But still, when I see um, in the industry, there is a, a lot of um, garments out there that have, you know, um, construction mistakes and, and will, uh, will not um, withstand uh, a rain shower properly. Oh, as we're sitting here talking about fabrics and, the, uh, yeah, you mentioned the seams. And I'm currently just doing sewing a bunch of different seam type constructions on our backpacks to see if I can find one that's because uh, that's the weak spot, right? Um, the, the zipper can be very water resistant. The fabric could be dang near waterproof, but you just throw some holes in a seam and all of a sudden you've got a uh, an area that uh, causes a major leak. So I wasn't even thinking about that in these rain jackets. Yeah, no, I mean, and I think this is the this is the most common mistake is that um, that there is a construction mistakes in pocket areas or ventilation areas um, that are not, you know, that are not water resistant or not or not on a durable base. You know, it's like in the beginning when the DWR and everything is very fresh and very good, you will get away with, with many things. But once this gets, you know, washed or worn off a little bit, then um, you know, fabric, also fabric and um, sewing threads, they, they tend to start, you know, um, soaking, soaking the water. And uh, so the water can, uh, can migrate through sewing threads uh, towards inside um, layers. And um, this is really something that, that we can see quite often. It seems to me, Marcel, that, uh, you know, thinking of like a backpack mountain hunt, guys want to, venture towards the lightest rain gear because it's uh, obviously going to save both weight and space in the pack, be more quote unquote packable. Um, but at the same time on a hunt like that, you also have a higher probability of enduring longer durations of moisture and dealing with higher levels of output and the potential that that lighter rain gear is then less durable uh, and it's being packed and things like that. So it's like, you know, as much as I'm personally drawn to like, Oh, let me find something super light, super packable. It, you kind of hinted at it earlier. It's maybe not the best choice based on those specs alone, but really looking at the bigger picture of how much time you're going to spend in it, what your activity level is like and things like that. Is that part of, you know, a big 
a big balance that folks need to look for if they're shopping different options and maybe looking at as I tend to do sometimes just like weight alone. Yeah, I mean definitely, and I mean this is um, this is what we from our side at Canis always consider. You know, we you know we build pretty light um, hunting gear, but um, we never intended to build the lightest hunting gear, not at all. And you know, I've been I've been in the in the outdoor industry or, or mountaineering um, expedition um, uh, gear industry for for quite um, some times, and um, I I know we can build light. But I will never go for the lightest option, never, because the lightest option will always be the, um, you know, the weakest one or the the weak one. So what we try to do is we try to find, you know, a light but a very strong fabric, and then you know, um, a, a lot of parameters come into place, such as what what exact um, material is used. Um, is it is it nylon? Is it nylon double six or what yarn type is it? So. Um, you can you can basically bring in a lot of extra strength um, by not compromising um, the durability, and I think this is also um, it's it's always about finding the right compromise. You know, this is what we do when we do garments. We're not trying to do the lightest garment. We try to do a very like first of all a durable, strong um, garment, and then we know how to do it light as well. But this is then more construction and really like choosing the correct um, correct materials and stuff. So if you consider, you know, what to choose for a hunt, I think it's, you know, there is also a lot of, a, a lot of trade-offs you, you have to consider. It's like if you're, if you're hunting in, I don't know, in summer months in Mexico, I don't know, you probably don't need the, you know, the toughest, um, the toughest um, rain jacket because the probability that um that it's going to be raining for a, for a week uh, through, it, it's probably extremely low. So maybe in this case, um, all you need is kind of an emergency, um, an emergency type of jacket. Or if you are hunting from a lodge, um, probably you you can use different gear. You know that say, okay, it needs you know it needs to be as good as um, it you know it needs to bring me back to the to the lodge and then um you know i can dry everything and then we start fresh in the morning but if you're out in the field for a week and you're hunting in i don't know british columbia in um in fall time um so it can be that it's you know you have to expect that it's raining for you know maybe at least a, a day or a full day or a few days um when it comes worse and then you'll probably um, appreciate to have something that is, um, that is really reliable. And, and then you, you know, you take that extra, um, that extra weight and, um, and space um, happily, I guess. All, all design is a balance, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. One more quick question. Well, I say quick, Marcel, I'm sorry, this is probably opened up a bigger subject, but I, I would like for you to touch on it. Just thinking of, uh, the performance of these these layers, these membranes and ring gears as a system. Can you just kind of explain a bit on the role of what you're wearing beneath the shell, right? So, you know, certain times, and again, this goes back to output, but guys think, you know, oh, this isn't breathable. Well, what are you wearing underneath? What is that system? What are those layers that you're wearing aside from this rain gear piece or the shell? How are they performing to either, uh, you kind of mentioned like your own microclimate beforehand, right? Um, can you just touch on the role that what you're wearing underneath this rain piece is going to affect how that rain piece is going to perform? Yeah. I mean, um, first of all, what we try to do, we try to use... Um, um, or we try to control the permeability of, of each individual layer. And certainly the rain layer is, is the least uh, permeable layer, um, even though we say it's breathable, but as a matter of fact, the breathability is quite low compared to, let's say, a fleece. Um, so what we try to do is to control the, um, the permeability of each layer from you know, next to skin. We obviously want to have a very high permeability um, then fleece and then we kind of you know start closing it in um, the insulate like the the synthetic insulation is still very breathable whereas then the down where you expect colder climate um, gives you more a barrier effect so you keep 
keeps the warmth inside the system uh, because obviously as, as higher the permeability of a garment is, as, as more uh, warmth you also lose um, through uh, convection through the garment or through the fabric. So obviously you try to control from a very um, open, breathable layer and then you start to kind of make, um, make barriers, you know, as colder the climate you expect means. Um, and then in addition to that, we try to um, deal with the, with the moisture in your microclimate because as, as, um, as more moisture you have, uh, you know, close to your body, um, as more problematic um, this will be or, or, or as more discomfort um, you will get from, from that moisture. You know, in cold condition, you will you will feel like more clamp and like colder and more clamp. Um, and in hot conditions, um, you know, you will start to overheat uh, quicker uh, as more moisture you have in your system. So that's why we try to you know to use fabrics that transport or encapsulate um, moisture in your system. Um, so, for example, merino. And merino has the you know very good property, properties to encapsulate moisture, um, like kind of take that take it out from your system and to store it inside uh, without that it's um it's it's feeling wet. So that's how you kind of try to control moisture and permeability. Obviously, if you have a high permeability through the layers, um, also a lot of um of this moist um. Um, air can escape through the layers. Um, so that's also a way how to, to get moisture out of the system. We touched on this uh, briefly when we were talking about kind of that DWR reactivation concept, but can you talk um, about garment care? Um, guys, and you even talked about this with construction as well, of seeing degradation maybe in performance over time. What are some ways to care for uh, rain gear properly? And then also some things that can kind of compromise the use of it that may need some attention. So yeah. um, the washing process, any specific chemicals, treatments, et cetera. Yeah. I've had a tendency to not like thinking it's bad to wash my rain jackets. Right? I try to go as long as I can without cleaning them. But I also think maybe you can touch on that if uh, washing, washing can be a good thing, right? To get debris out of the, the layers. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is a, it's quite common that people tend um, to wash the rain, rain gear as, as, you know, as, uh, as little as possible. But um, actually, it will help to, for a better performance if you wash it frequently. You know, washing it frequently doesn't mean that you have to wash it every time you have worn it. But, you know, every now and then you throw it in, a, in the washing machine and, and rinse it. Um, it makes a lot of sense because... Um, the DWR is like, um, it's like on a micro level, um, it's like you have to imagine like hair that kind of stands straight on your fabric and uh, will kind of create that, um, that gap between, you know, a water drop and the fabric. And um, if this is kind of, um, you know, first of all, if it's mechanically compromised, this hair can kind of lose the orientation. So this may lay down closer to, to the face of the fabric than uh, what it's intended to. And also the, you know, like some, some dust and, um, and, and, and grease and, 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 you know, dirt that is, you know, you collect, even if it's, if it's invisible because it's like really fine. Um, this is then kind of attracting the water, so it's actually quicker to get um, to get a wet uh, surface of the fabric. And you know, this is what you want to rinse off every now and then. And then, um, if you put it in, into a, a tumble dryer on a low temperature, or if you you can also use an iron. You know, it's like um, on a very low temperature, you use your iron. Heat activates and and aligns this um, this um, surface. Um, you know, back to a, a much better performance. So if you feel your, um, your rain gear is not water repellent anymore and you have washed it, um, you haven't washed it for a while, this is the first thing what you, what you probably want to do, just like rinse it, um, you know, rinse it in, 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 cold, um, in cold water with, um, you know, with a detergent that is made for, um, for technical wear. And these are usually... Um, in a liquid form, so don't use powdered um, washing detergent. Always use um, um, use liquid one because the powder can clog up 
um, your membrane or your um, uh, your pores. Um, so there is detergents, and, and it doesn't really matter which, which brand you use. If you have a, you know, if you have um, a tech wash, you know, we offer that through our website, and so do many of the of the of the outdoor um, companies. Um, so if you use one of these detergents, you know, it, it will help you to wash out, the, to rinse out the, you know, the, um, the dirt from the surface and then you, with, with heat um, or, you know, with low heat, you kind of reactivate the DWR treatment uh, back to the, to the initial performance. And I think this makes a big difference. <laughs> I've been doing everything wrong. <laughs> I have a powder detergent I use and then I don't dry it because I was like <laughs> thinking that the dryer and the heat would be a bad thing. Yeah. I mean, you always have to make sure you, you, um, you dry it on low heat, but um, if you put it in a tumble dryer, but um, yeah, you can do that. You should do that. Or if you don't have the, um, the opportunity to put it in a tumble dryer, you still can use a, you know, just a regular iron and, and iron it on a, on low temperature. Good to know. From a washing recommendation, just, you know, you're over the course of a two month period and I mean, you, you're using it frequently. I mean, is it because obviously you mentioned earlier that the seams and things like that could fail after 10 or 20 washing. So washing is in the, in the long term uh, could be detrimental to the jacket, right? So you don't want to overwash it and ruin the jacket sooner than later. Do you have a rough recommendation i know that's pretty tough but uh, <laughs> i mean i guess just yeah if you used it for a week-long hunt and probably wash it after that yeah for sure you probably want to wash it then you know if you have your used your um your rain gear a lot and you will also you know you will also find that um that your water repellency won't perform as well anymore so then you the first thing is what you do you just wash it and um you know um as long as you you know rinse it cold um, with correct um, washing detergent, um, you won't damage it. You know okay. you can wash it easily twenty times should be no problem. If everything is is properly manufactured, this shouldn't be a problem at all. Um, if you apply too much heat, then this gets critical. But this is no anyway not what we want to do, right? Mm. Okay. So no. No, no, no. Aftermarket DWR spray. Like what when's uh you know, is your jacket a year old, five years old? Do you recommend starting to is there do you guys sell a spray on the website that you recommend or yeah, I mean obviously a spray is 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 always a good option to refresh. Um um obviously um these will not be you know, stick to the to the surface as well as you you do it in an industrial process, um, because again here, um, if you have an industrial process or a fabric processing routine, you have a you know you have different components that you know one component sticks to the fabric, the others uh, you know repel the water, but still you have a kind of a hydrophobic and hydrophilic part on it, and this will be kind of activated with a with a very high temperature, which you can't do on a on a finished garment, but obviously refreshing it with a spray. Um, will help you, you know, till the next or or or, or two washes later. A bit better um, is to to use the washing versions um, because if you do it, you know, there's kind of a two-step uh, process that you know we all also offer um, on on our website. You you have kind of a tech wash, and then uh, um, once this is rinsed, then it applies a um, a water repellent treatment, and then if you put it into into a dryer on low temperature. This is probably the best what you can do. Um, it won't go back to that level that um, that has you know that it had when it was new, but but it's you know it's still a, a reasonable um, a process to to do frequently once um, the DWR has been compromised. Yeah, for sure we would recommend. Fantastic, Marcel. Uh, we didn't get into any of the specifics on your products uh, from Canis and in particular, what we've been discussing with rain gear. Can you give us a quick rundown? I know we're, we've taken a ton of your time here. I want to keep you all day, but um, I know that there's a couple, for example, on the rain jacket options, a couple offerings that you have through Canis. Can you kind of just give us a brief overview of um, how those are designed? Uh, maybe how folks, if they hop over to the Canis website would choose between those two, for example. 
yeah, as you say, we, we do offer at the moment uh, uh, two different jackets uh, and one pants. Um, so we also try to be, you know, to keep it, you know, compact and simple for the moment. Um, all, all of the three pieces use the same fabric. It's a, it's a, it's a stretch uh, fabric, uh, mechanical stretch fabric. Uh, that uses nylon double six. Um, so it's a high tenacity nylon. Um, so um, the reason why we use this, uh, this uh, rather lightweight and stretch fabric is in combination with our PU membrane, which is in this case, a hydrophilic membrane, um, is uh, at the same time, uh, it's also quite, um, you know, silent. Um, I mean, it's still a woven fabric um, and it's still, uh, you know, Compared with a with a knit or a fleece type of um, layer, um, obviously it's a bit it's a bit more noisy, but it's relatively quiet for a light um, a waterproof woven uh, layer, and this comes from the combination of um, of face fabric uh, with the PU membrane that supports the stretch, and the inside um, backing layer. Um, so we use the same the same fabric for um, our like Vapiti rain jacket, which is the which is the rain jacket with um, with all the you know with all the features you know uh, pockets on on sleeves, pockets on chest, um, hand warmer pockets, um, and then we just made a a, a, um, a much reduced um, version of it that only features a chest pocket. It has a grown on hood, which is. Um, which is fixed um, and it doesn't have any um, uh, ventilation. So this is really a packable type of garment, um, which obviously due to the reduced features um, is much lighter and much more packable, but still uh, still features the same, the same fabric. Cool. Yeah, I have a feeling, Marcel, we're going to have to get you back on in the future to take some other, uh, some other deep dives, but this has been excellent today. And uh, thank you so much for sharing the time and the knowledge with us. Thank you. It's, uh, it's always a pleasure speaking to you. And um, yeah, anytime, I mean, anytime again. Well, there you have it, guys. Before I let you go, just a few quick reminders. Number one, hit that subscribe or follow button in your podcast app so that you receive future episodes automatically. Number two, you can look for the links in the show description to get more information from Canis, which Marcel just recently mentioned, but also to get in contact with us, either to leave an audio message with a question for the show or send us an email. And finally, just want to remind you guys as well, in terms of links in the show description, you'll also find a link to the podcast archive. That'll take you into hundreds of back episodes, which are both categorized and also provides a search feature. So if you're looking for specific topics or themes within prior podcast episodes, that is a great place to go and check out. As always, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. We appreciate your support and we'll talk to you next time.